Right, we are continuing our series on the epistle to Timothy, First Timothy. Um, and once again, as a review, Paul is writing to Timothy, who is the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Ephesus is one of the one of, is the church that Paul founded. He was there for two and a half years. He preached and he served and he founded the church of Ephesus. Now Timothy is the pastor, and there are a lot of issues that are arising from that church. So one of the main reasons why Paul is writing this letter to Timothy is to instruct Timothy of what a proper church looks like. And one of the key elements, perhaps one of the most foundational elements of a church, according to Paul, is the church has to be led by men who teach sound doctrine. God's mercy and presence and power in your life unfolds as a qualified leader preaches his word to you honestly, correctly, and effectively. That's his key, one of the key mercies in your life. The reason why Paul, major issue that the churches of, church, in, church in Ephesus was having was they were dealing with false teachers, false pastors who were contaminating the church with lies, with incorrect doctrine. And when the, when the congregation hears false teachings and lies and half-truths, their spirits begin to die and wither. Therefore, you need qualified men to bring the word of God to you so that you will live. So that's why Paul considers the office of the overseer. Overseer is the same word for elder, which is the same word for pastor. Overseer, elder, pastor, they're the same, they're, they're used interchangeably. That's why, because of such an important task that the pastor is serving in the church, Paul says, right, only a qualified person can do this role. In fact, in verse 1, Paul says, the saying is trustworthy. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, which is pastor, he desires a noble task. Paul says, if anyone wants to be a pastor, he desires a noble task. The position of a pastor is that of noble task. The word noble here means very important work that if you complete it faithfully will deserve much honor. Very important work, which if you do it faithfully, it is worth much honor in the sight of God. So being a pastor is a noble work, a very important work that God considers honorable if conducted faithfully. When I think of the word noble work, 
I think of Frodo Baggins and the Lord of the Rings. Do you remember Frodo? Do you know? Do you guys know Lord of the Ring? Tisn't Lord of the Rings? <gasps> Tisn't those? Okay, how about this side? Lord of the Rings? Oh, Louisa knows Lord of the Rings. And we know, we know Greg knows Lord of the Rings, right? So Frodo's task is to carry that ring, Sean Stark, Mont Mordor, Mont Doom, and drop the ring, right? So that Sauron can be destroyed. It is, I still have my nerd credentials, it is an important role. That's, an, that's a noble role. And because Frodo completed faithfully, through the help of Samwise Gamgee, at the end of the movie, remember at the end of the Return of the King, where everyone bows to Frodo and the hobbits, and Aragorn says, you bow to no one? It gets me every time. Because Frodo completed the task, he is honored. That's the type of work that pastors are called to do. It is no less important than Frodo's journey to Mount Doom. Because it is through the teaching and preaching of God's word that men are brought out of darkness and into the light of Jesus Christ. For the last month or so, I was really into demonology. Maybe because I was watching Demon Slayer at Netflix when I was running, right? Right? Maybe, maybe it was that. But I'm, I'm, or maybe it's because the moment that I said, I want to do things to make the devil mad, he starts to attack me real bad. Whatever it is, I'm really into demons. And when, we were, when I was reading, following our calendar, Mark's, Mark 5, Jesus is dealing with the man who was possessed by a demon who are living in the catacombs by the tombs. Demonic spirits are very real. Jesus dealt with them. Paul dealt with them. Peter dealt with them. Demonic spirits are very real. I was watching a YouTube clip interview with, he's, I think he's a chair, or he's one of the lead chairs of the psychiatric department of Columbia University. Columbia University is one of the psychiatric heads of psychiatry at Columbia University Hospital. He's an Ivy League trained physician. And, what he, and his side job is the Catholic Church calls him from time to time during exorcism and, you know, consult him on the matters of exorcism. So sometimes they take him where priests are performing, you know what exorcism is? Driving out demons. This guy is brought in sometimes to witness demonic exorcism, right, and write about it. And this is what he says. He says, as a man of science, and you can't get more sciency than this guy. Ivy League science credentials. He says, as a man of science, I believe demons are real. I believe demons oppress people. Demons influence people. Demon, demons do influence people. 
And I think that's true. Demons influence people on a daily basis. What do demons do? What does demons do? What is the main role of a demon? What are the main roles of evil spirits? I think the main role of evil spirits is similar to what he did to Eve, Adam and Eve in the garden. He, his main goal is to make you think like he does. And how does demons think? Why did, what, what, and you get, the way you know how demons think, you know by the way they tempted Adam and Eve. And the way he tempted Eve was, he says, what you believe to be true is right. Your values, your consideration is the most important thing. And there is no other thing that is more important, not even God, not even other people, that are more important than your analysis, than your, than your feelings about life. Your feelings about life is the, the most important thing, and there's no other thing that is more important. Demons whisper to your ear that lie. And if you listen to that lie, you live suppressed by those lies. You live without thinking anything about God, anything about truth. You're suppressed with false thinking, faulty perception, evil desires, depressing thoughts. And you're trapped in that state. Everyone is trapped in that state. But Jesus says he is the light, he is the way, the truth, and the light. Which means in this world where everyone is trapped in their faulty thinking and evil desires, there is one light in the world, and that is the light of Jesus Christ. When you go under this light, you begin to see God clearly, which results in you understanding life clearly, which results in you understanding yourself clearly, which results in the fact that you understand your purpose clearly. When you go underneath the light of Jesus Christ, you're free from that condition of confusion, jealousy, and evil, and dominated by evil thoughts. And you, become, and you start to become whole. The entire world is made up of people stuck in darkness. Jesus is the only light that can set you free from that. He really is. When you engage with him, when you engage with him in your life, you begin to see his light in your life. And you become to feel more free. But if you don't engage with him, if you just sit, sit just alone and not give any consideration to God, and, Satan's number, and, and the way that Satan gets to religious folks, right, is Satan tells you, look, you identify yourself as a Christian. You put yourself under this religious institution called Christianity. And once you just identify yourself as a Christian, there is no need for you to engage with God. 
And people believe it. People say, oh, because I'm saved, I don't need to engage with God. And when you stop engaging with God, you cannot, you cannot go under the light of Christ. There are so many spiritually dead so-called Christians because they, are, they, don't, they do not go under the warm light of life of Jesus Christ. What the pastor's role is, is to preach the word of God, teach the word of God, lean on the, lean on the spirit of God so that their people can be brought under the light of Jesus Christ. That's the pastor's calling. My calling is to faithfully preach to you and pray for you and pray with you so that God will lead you under the light of Jesus Christ. Some pastors have a holy misunderstanding of their job description. Some pastors think my job is just is to simply love people. Yeah, loving people is great, and that's the call. But if your so-called love does not lead people under, under, under the light of Christ, what good is your love? That's what I want to say. Some pastors say, my job is to entertain you, is to present God in an entertaining, relevant fashion to you. Being entertaining is fine, I suppose. But if your entertainment does not lead people under the light of Christ, what good is your job, pastor? My job is to lead you to the light of Christ. Not once, but to encourage you to continually live under the light of Christ. How important is this role? It's quite important, isn't it? Perhaps it's the most noblest of professions. I know we think doctors are noble professions, and they certainly are. But doctors, they say, can fix your body. They cannot fix your soul. Pastors pray and preach so that your soul will be healed through the light of Jesus Christ. A man who doesn't, a man who doesn't think that's his job, I don't think deserves to be a pastor. He needs to look, some, he needs to look for something else to do. And because this job is so important, this job has to be conducted by a man who is captured by God on a daily basis. This job cannot be done by a, mere, by a mere professional. This job cannot be done by a person who, you know, just sees their job as just conveying information to you. Look, these days, you know ChatGPT? You know ChatGPT? Oh, uh, you know you guys know ChatGPT? Tezun, ChatGPT? Okay, ChatGPT is like Google on steroids, right? So if you like ask a question, 
It summarizes all the information out there, and it gives you to in a report fashion. It's crazy. And I said, ChatGPT, write me a sermon on 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And you know, the guy did it. And I go, it's pretty good. If my job is simply just modify ChatGPT, Outlook, and, and serve it to you, I'd be like a McDonald's raider, McDonald's server, right? They just heat things up and give it to you. That's not good enough for you. I need to be captured by God. I need to walk with him. I need to struggle with him in order to give, try to give you, try to convey his word to you in an effective way. Pastors are men who need to be captured by God. And people who are men who are captured by God, one of the first results, one of the fruit is that the man is above reproach. Verse 2. Right? Verse 2, what does he say? Oh, you, need, you do need to get situated, Haran. Jeepers. Okay. <laughs> Haran, that's no joke. Therefore, an overseer, pastor, must be someone who is above reproach. What is above reproach? So these are the qualifications of a pastor. So these are the qualifications of a man who's, who's, whom God has given this role. And one of the first qualities of a man who, can, who, has, who must serve as a pastor is a pastor who is, is someone who is above reproach. What does above reproach mean? Above repro- the word reproach means um, act, you know, reproach means acting in a way that causes disapproval, right? When, when Caleb got an A- minus in geometry when he was in eighth grade, that was reproach because that, so much disapproval. Emily knows what I'm talking about. A- minus, right? Minus a wiggle, right? What is that? <laughs> That's like a 93. Where did the other, other seven points go, right? That's disapproval, right? But... So reproach means actions that cause disapproval. But the reproach here doesn't mean like getting A minuses, but moral failures that causes disapproval. So what this means is, the phrase means that, this is from ChatGPT, leaders should, should be beyond criticism or accusation having a reputation that is free from serious and moral ethical faults. ChatGPT, right? God bless it. It means, above reproach means, pastors should live blameless lives. Pastors cannot be dominated by a particular sin in their lives. It does not mean pastors do not sin. Of course we sin. But pastors are not 
dominated, dominated by a particular sin. This is very important stuff. I'm glad that you're here. Listen to me carefully, okay? In one sense, listen to me carefully, in one sense, Christians are not sinners. Christians are not sinners. Christians have transitioned from being a sinner, and now we're saints. You understand? When Christ made us righteous, God does not see ourselves, in a certain sense, God does not see ourselves, see us as sinners. But through Christ, we became righteous saints. Do you understand? Christ declares us to be a righteous sin. Well, I can see Pastor Ujin, like, what's he trying to say? But it doesn't mean that we don't sin. Our position in God is that we're no longer sinners. We're righteous saints. We're righteous children. But it doesn't mean that we don't sin in this world. Even though we're righteous saints before God, while we're living in this world, we still live within this this fallen flesh with a fallen brain that remembers the appetites of sin, right? Our brains remember, oh yeah, that sin used to taste so good. We still live within an underdeveloped morality where we still are morally compromised, tempted to be morally compromised. So while we're, our position in God is that we are no longer sinners but saints, but in this reality, we are dealing with sin on a regular basis because of our fallen flesh and our fallen minds. So we sin. But Christians are not dominated by the power of sin. What does that mean? What does it mean to be dominated by power of sin? Sin is no longer this inevitable burden that you carry inside of you. Even though you are tempted to sin, and sometimes you do, the huge burden of sin is lifted from you. Therefore, through God, you can overcome your sin. How do you know that you are still under the power and the burden of sin? Do you know how you know? Number one, you are under the dominion and power of sin if you don't think you're a sinner. Unbelievers out there, are you a sinner? Nope. I may be, I may make mistakes. I may have character flaws. But surely, I'm not a sinner. The way you know that you're in sin is is if you don't think that you're a sinner. Or, you know sin as a concept. And you can see sin in other people, especially your husband and wife. 
The sin is kind of removed from you. You see it around you, but not in you. You know what I'm talking about? It's someone else's problem. That's being under the dominion of sin, because you don't see your sin. You don't see the fallenness within you. Or the third aspect is you have a very shallow understanding of sin. You think your sin is you play too much video games. Or your sin is you smoke too much. Or your sin is you drink beer too much. And once you just get over that particular issue, then you're free, baby. That shallow understanding of sin is indicative of the fact that you're still under the power of sin. Because these people under the power of sin, they don't want to deal with their sin, nor do they think they need to deal with their sin. Am I getting, am I getting across to you? The way you know that you're, power of sin, you're under the power of sin is, is if you don't think there's sin. But a person who's captured by God, understands what sin is in a personal way. You know, Romans 7, you know there is a spirit living within you that do not want to do what God tells you to do. There is something in you that wants to rebel. There's something in you that wants to lust. There's something in you that wants to be prideful. There's something in you that wants to destroy your life. People who are free from the dominion of sin recognizes this, and they turn to God, and they work with God to overcome their sin. People who are above reproach, people who are living blameless lives, not just pastors, but every Christian is called to live beyond reproach. The calling is not just for you, but it's for you. The way you live a life that is free, not free, but a life that is, yeah, free from a dominance of sin in your life is if you recognize the sin within you and you work with God and you walk with God to overcome it. That's what a man, a person who is beyond approach looks like. A person who is constantly working at their sins with God cannot be captured by a sin, by a particular sin, cannot be dominated by a particular sin for a long time. They cannot. That's why. What am I trying to say? I'm so thankful for this position because this position motivates me to walk with God in in discipline. I try to spend at least two hours every day Reading about God, thinking about God, praying to God. Just occupy my time at least two hours a day with the things of God. Doing that 
makes me realize my sin. It makes me realize my sin helps me overcome my sin. Do you understand? A person who's above beyond reproach is not someone who's naturally blameless, who's naturally kind, who's naturally humble. It doesn't mean that. A person who's above reproach is a person who is captured by God, who walks with God regularly, so that as the person walks with God regularly, God does not let him be dominated by a particular sin. Do you get me? In order for a pastor to be an effective pastor, in order for a Christian dad to be an effective Christian dad, you need to walk with God. Work out your sin with fear and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Doing so, God lets you not be dominated by particular sin. This is so important. Guys, if I'm not walking with God on a regular basis, if I'm not striving to think, 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 try to think things after God, then I think you need to fire me. I'm glad that you know, only half of you are here. Because if I don't walk with God that way, I'm no good to you. If I'm not above reproach by walking with God and working out my salvation, fear and trembling, if I don't work out my sins with God with fear and trembling, what I'm doing here is just mere show. Do you understand? That's why a pastor needs to be above reproach. Not just me, you too need to be above reproach. What's the next qualification? It's related. Next qualification is a husband above reproach, the husband of one wife. So a pastor should be a husband of one wife. Duh. Okay, first of all, it doesn't mean single dudes cannot be pastors. Obviously, Jesus, Jesus wasn't married, despite what Da Vinci Code says, right? Obviously, Paul wasn't married, and Paul was a pastor. So it doesn't mean single dudes cannot be, cannot be pastors. But if a pastor is married, then that pastor has be, has, must be a Pat must be a husband to one wife. What this means is the pastor cannot have affairs. Duh! Right? It's so self-explanatory. If you're a pastor, don't have an affair. How simple is this? How easy is this? Then the question is, why in the world do pastors have affairs all the time, every time, everywhere? Why? 
Why can't they be just faithful to their wives? I'll tell you why. This is inside baseball in, in, in the life of a pastor. Am I seeing an angel or is that my wife? <laughs> All right. Interesting. <laughs> she appears, she appears what, what, while I'm addressing this particular issue. The reason why pastors have affairs, past, the role of a pastor, this position, is a very isolating, lonely position. It is. It's very lonely here. This position is a position that just constantly expends energy and love without getting much things back in return. I love you. You're all kind, right? I'm not judging anyone, but as a whole, not to embrace this exception. Embrace you're super good to your pastors, right? But as a general reality, the relationship between pastor and congregant is caregiver, caretaker, and those who receive care. It's not reciprocal, right? So you're constantly expending energy. And oftentimes, you're alone without any oversight. You're alone without any oversight. You don't know what, you don't know what I do. I mean, lucky for you, I have so many people on my business every day, every day. I'm never alone, but I'm, like, a lot of the full-time pastors out there, they're alone, and no one is holding them accountable for their time. You think it sounds awesome, but it's not. It's lonely. And the work, the fulfillment of work, It doesn't, it's not, sometimes it's not very fulfilling. You give and you preach and you teach, and it would be great if you guys changed like that so I can feel good about myself and my job here. But taking care of a congregation is like a farmer. You plant the seed, and you're like, look, look at this. And you don't see the fruits immediately. And men are designed to find fulfillment in their jobs. And when you're lonely, and when you think that your work is not producing fruit and crops, you feel stressed. You don't feel like a man, let's be honest. I mean, you don't know. But men who don't find fulfillment in their job, you don't feel like a man. Plus the fact that you're not getting paid that much. I'm not asking for a raise, right? But you don't get paid that much. And let's be honest, now, the social cachet of being a pastor, it's not that great. Being a, being a religious officer was great in the Middle Ages. But now, if you say you're a pastor, they look at you suspiciously. How do I know? I tell people I'm a pastor, and they look at me suspiciously. 
My children, when they, when they introduce, like, what did your dad for, do for a living? Do they say, my dad's a pastor first? You think that's where they go? My dad's a lawyer. So you're isolated? You don't really get fulfillment for your work? You're always expending energy? You don't feel useful? You're worrying about finances? And you see some woman that makes you come alive? I don't, not me. Ew, right? You'll be tempted. If the pastor is not sure of his calling, if the pastor is not sure of what he's there to do, if the pastor does not get his fulfillment in God and in Jesus Christ on a daily basis, if the pastor does not come under the light of Christ on a daily basis, he will be tempted. And that's why Paul says, you must be faithful to your wife because the temptation of not to be faithful with your wife, especially in the position of pastor, is very real. Pastors either get addicted to power or money or women. That's what they keep on telling me when I, when I started out. Be, care, be careful with power. Be careful with money. Be careful with women. I go, okay. It's true. Because this is such an important job, the devil will do all that he can to destroy me. In order to hurt you, He's going to come after me. Do you understand? I'm target number one. He's going to throw all sorts of temptations at me. Therefore, I need to walk under the light of Christ on a daily basis. He must be a husband and one wife, sober-minded and self-controlled. He needs to be clear thinking and not act according to his impulses. Once again, this is not just for pastors, it's for everyone. Christians are called to be sober-minded and clear thinking. The, the Bible's opposition to alcohol is not because alcohol in and of itself is evil, me saying this makes you make someone go, yay. What is evil? What it prohibits is using alcohol. If it impairs your sober mind. One of the consequences of sin is unclear thinking. My favorite Bible verse, which you know, I, I asked you when I die, put it on my tombstone. Ecclesiastes 9.3. Men's minds are filled with evil. I'm not sorry. Men, okay, let me get this right.
Okay, it's got 9-3. This is what I, what I need to get on my tombstone, okay? The heart of man is filled with evil and insanity. Put that in my tombstone so that people can read it as a rebuke, right? Men's mind, men's hearts are filled with evil and insanity. People are cuckoo for cuckoo puffs. They are loony bins. Why? Romans 1, they reject God and do not give thanks to him. When you reject God and do not give thanks to him, your mind becomes futile. According to ChatGPT, pointless way of thinking as people become trapped in their own selfishness. God bless ChatGPT. Your thinking becomes useless. You want to live for useless things. And you're trapped in selfishness. Your thoughts become insane. But when you walk under the light of Christ, your thinking becomes clear. It really does. Right? I don't want to embarrass Greg, but every time I have lunch with Greg, we talk about just insane people surrounding Greg's life is just Island of insanity, oceans of insanity. Greg's the same one. I feel the same way about Greg. Not just kidding, Greg. <laughs> right? Right? Just joshing Greg. There are not many people here. And Greg is right. He's, he's right to complain about people's insanity because everyone's insane. When you come under the light of Christ, he gives you sobriety. Clear thinking. You know what the number one cause of depression, like one of the major main triggers of depression, they say? One of the main triggers of depression is people don't know what the, what the purpose of their life is. People don't know what they're about, what they're living for. Because they don't know this, they're depressed. When you don't know God, you don't know what you're living for. You don't know who you are. Of course you're going to be depressed. On the light of Christ, you know exactly who you are. And how glorious you are in Christ. One of the sisters, I remember, that used to go here. She was going through some severe medical things. And she was, like, hospitalized. Her mom was, like, sick. She was hospitalized. Right? And she was, like, it was just insane things happening around her. And I called her and I said, are you okay? And she said, yep, I'm good. God is still faithful. I'm still within God's will. Her mom is a paraplegic. She's suffering. She's in a hospital. My, my, my sister is in a hospital. And she says, I still know that God is in charge in all this. That's clear thinking, y'all. A pastor and everyone who walks under the light of Christ Things soberly. Sober-minded people are self-controlled people. They are not controlled by their impulses. How do you know a person is called to be a preacher? Is he a clear thinker? Look, y'all, I go insane. Ask my wife. Every day I have bouts of insanity. 
I really do. I think insane thoughts. But by the grace of God, he does not let me stay in the insanity. He bounces me back to clear thinking every day. Every day I go, I go insane. Every day I bounce back, I, I, I bounce back to clarity. He does that when you walk with him. Obviously, I can't go with all the lists. The last thing we're going to talk about, and we're going to return this next week. The pastor is sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, which we're going to talk about next week. And the pastor is able to teach. Able to teach part. The other qualities applies to all Christians, not just pastors, but the able to teach part only applies to pastors. And one of, the, one of the, the skill requirements of being a pastor is that he needs to be able to teach. The able to teach part means the pastor needs to know sound doctrine and teach correct things. Church of Ephesus is in ruins because of insane men teaching incorrect things. A pastor's call is to know the scriptures, know doctrine, and using his communication gifts, try his best to unpack God's word to you in a clear way. That's the role of a pastor. The question is, why is this able to teach part in the midst of these moral qualities? Isn't it strange? Like he, he says, one wife, husband and one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. He's like, moralist, 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 more quality, more quality, more quality, and then able to teach. It seems like kind of like out of place. I thought it was weird. Who do I go? I went to John MacArthur. God bless him. And this is what John MacArthur says. Able to teach is in the midst of these moral qualities of a pastor. Because a pastor who doesn't possess moral qualities are not, will not be able to teach. In order for you to teach effectively, pastor, you need to possess these moral qualities. You can't separate your morality, your inner life, from your ability to teach. Your ability to teach and your moral life goes hand in hand. These moral life, right, are fruits of a person who walks with God. You bear these fruits when you walk with God. If you don't bear these fruits, that's evidence that you're not walking with God. And if you're not walking with God, exhibiting these fruits, you're not going to be able to teach. Once again, I can convey information to you. ChatGPT can do that. It will take me literally 30 minutes to prepare a sermon. I'll share it with Pastor Ujin. You can, you literally, you can, I, can, I can prepare this sermon for th in 30 minutes. But that's not going to do you any good if I don't walk with God. Therefore, it's almost over. I'm only preaching 45 minutes, y'all. New, New Year's resolution. What is the application? Application is, number one, are you these things? 
Are you, are you above reproach? Are you sober-minded? Are you faithful to your spouse? Are you clear thinking? Are you walking with God? Are you engaging with him? Are you under the light of Christ every day, all day? Are you under the light of Christ every day? You need to be under the light of Christ every day. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And number two, you need to pray for me. Because like I said, the best way for Satan to hurt you is to go through me. Imagine how you feel if you discover that I had an affair. Baby, I'm never going to cheat on you. But what if I do? Especially a guy like me who's so hard on you guys every Sunday. Who kind of beat you up every Sunday, don't I? If I fall, you will be bitter. And it will affect your faith. If I grow, that's going to impact the way I preach, which is going to impact you. I can be God's grace in your life, or I can be the cause of great sorrow in your life. Therefore, you need to pray for me. Final story, the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, someone asked him, your preaching is powerful and you've converted a lot of people through your preaching. What is your secret? He says, my secret is, he took that man to the basement where his people were praying. These people praying for me is a secret to my ministry. Guys, that's not, that's true. That's the way it works. If I am your pastor, if Pastor Luis is your pastor, it is your duty to pray for us. Let's pray. Question we ask ourselves this morning is Are you under the light of Christ? Or are you not engaging with Him because you feel yourself belonging to Him because you identify yourself through a religious organization, institution? Do you, are you making an excuse not to engage in God because you're a Christian? It's weird. People don't engage with God because they think they're Christians. Because they're, in, they're good with God. They don't think there's a need to engage with him. Quite the contrary. Because you're a Christian, you cannot live without being connected to the vine of Jesus Christ. If you have not been connected to him, truly repent and ask him for wisdom, ask him for whatever power that is needed, whatever insights that is needed for you to connect with him on a daily basis.